Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. My name is Simon. I don't know if you haven't got a chance to meet me. Um, I have been coming to this church for quite a while. I'm an elder here. And um, yeah, I, uh, you know, you see me at the end of a lot of services where I come up and do like a quick message. So I kind of think of it as like, uh, you know, in baseball, when you get to the last couple innings and the pitcher is like toast, his arm's screwed. So they bring in the relief pitcher, right? So I'm moving from being the relief pitcher to a starter today, okay? So bear with me. Like, hopefully it goes well. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, maybe you'll see me again. Who knows? So, um, and then I also realized that you know, there's a lot of new people at our church here, and not everybody really knows my story. So I wanted to just take a quick second and just let you guys kind of know who I am and where I come from. So I grew up in Burlington. We were like a middle-class family. My dad was an alcoholic, and so it was, you know, a struggle. And in my early teens, I started doing drugs. And, um, and then I started selling drugs. I was a drug dealer for a long time. And I was a responsible drug dealer, though, okay? I bought my first house, I bought my first car, and I paid myself to go to college selling drugs. Now, mind you, these drugs are now legal. So, I mean, really, was I doing anything wrong? Because I could have my own store right now and be doing this legally and not even get in trouble. So, but again, it was not right, and... uh but I just, it's just my point is like I was full of rebellion and all of these different things. And when I was 24 years old, I got a hold of Christ and my life changed forever. Okay, and it's going to be relevant when I talk about the things that we're going to talk about. We're in the series Trust Fund. And I have basically four pillars that I believe are uh, what we need to do to have access to this trust fund. So, and these four things, I believe, uh, we constantly think as humans are for somebody else when they're really, they're for us, okay? And we talk about this all the time, especially with tithing. We always say like, hey, you know, tithing is, is not for God because obviously he doesn't need our money. He wants our heart. And um, so I'm going to prove to you Number one, that tithe, your tithe, is for you and not for God, okay? So we're going to start off here in uh, Genesis 4. Um, I know I have some slides, and I changed a bunch of slides last minute, so um, there may be some that are available and some that are not. Do we have that one? Sweet. Okay, so um, so Genesis 4, 3, we're talking about the story of Cain and Abel, okay? So in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering. Uh, 
fat portions, who broke up there a little bit, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? I believe that's what it says. Is there a next slide for the rest of the? Yeah, awesome, thank you. Uh, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So this is very early on in the existence of the earth. There was no church at the time, right? So what good did it do for Cain and Abel to bring stuff to God to just burn an animal, right? Like, do you think that God needed that animal, right? The same way as we don't believe that, like, our tithe is for something, this is what we're basically seeing. We're, we're seeing that he's bringing an animal and he's setting it on fire. So who is that for? Is that for God or is that for Cain? right? We're sh he's showing Cain that inside of him is rotten, right? That there's something wrong. And, and the, we, the way he's showing him this is his attitude towards giving an offering, right? Now, not to mention that Abel, who did what was right, what did he get for tithing? He got killed, <laughs> right? So, I mean, like, you know, I'm not saying don't tithe because you're going to die, you should definitely still be tithing because it's what's right and it's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Let's look at another example here. We got Job, okay? Job is a very interesting story. This guy who is considered to be blameless, uh, he was blameless from God, a righteous man of God. So, and he sacrificed an offering for each one of his children, all the time because he feared God, he was blameless and he wanted to make sure that he was doing what was right. And so what happens in the story is basically Satan comes to God and says, the only reason why Job likes you and is righteous and is blameless is because you bless him. So can, can I sift him? And God's like, all right, do your best. So he does. And what happens to Job? Job loses all of his livestock, all of his servants die. All of his children die. Okay. He gets sores like all over his body. And his wife is pissed and is like, go and curse God. Cause I'm basically out of here if you don't do something about this. Right. And Job's like, no, like God is who God is. So the book has these friends, Job's friends, and he's discussing what's happening with God. And he's basically saying that like, they are saying that God is just and does he always act as injustice and all this kind of stuff. And he keeps having these conversations with these guys. Like the bulk of the book is him having these conversations with these guys that essentially lead to nothing. Okay. So finally he goes, forget you guys. I'm going to ask God directly. And he goes to God and he demands answers. Like, why is this happening to me? Like, what is going on? He starts calling him a bully. And he's like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, what's wrong with you? And so, and then God says nothing. And then finally, God comes around and he's like, listen, were you there when I created the universe and the earth? 
were you there when I made the sunrise and the sunset? He's like, no. So stop trying to figure it out. You're never going to figure out who I am. It's too complex. I'm just beyond your brain's thinking. Our human thinking is just, it's, it's too much for us. We believe that if we do something right, we get something. If we do something wrong, we get slapped on the wrist. That is not how God operates, right? He's enacted free will for us. He's done all these things. Like, we have to understand that we cannot put God inside of this box, right? And so, again, this poor guy who was blameless, who tithed, what did he get, right? right. So, again, like, I mean, at the end of the story, God sees fit to restore him for everything. Now, I want to make clear that it's, it lays out that God did not do this because he tithed or because he gave an offering. He did this because it's a gift from God, and it was his gift to Job to restore him for being faithful and doing all of these different things that, right, that he wanted, he wanted to gift to Job. So, again, not for us, right? I mean, sorry, it is only for us. It is not for God that we give a tithe. Amen? Okay, number two is forgiveness. You guys should take notes. It's a really good one, okay? So the definition of forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a group, sorry, toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve it or ask, okay? Now, I added ask in there into this definition, uh, and we'll see a little bit later on, but I don't remember God ever asking us if he should send his son to forgive all of us. Do you? Yeah. No, right? He did it because he knew that we needed forgiveness the same way that we should know and understand that we need to give forgive people who hurt us. Now, I am not saying and like that um, <clears throat> you, that means you forget or you condone or you are excusing the offense that somebody had against you. It is simply the fact of your mental release of these people in forgiveness because if we don't, the Bible is very clear that we will not be forgiven right? And we're going to get into this a little bit too, okay? So, and here's my thing, is like, we constantly feel like our access to the trust fund, our access to heaven, and all these different things, like, may have to do with, like, money, because that's where our heart and our time is. But I believe that forgiveness is the most crucial thing that we can do in terms of uh, knowing who God is and really understanding him, okay? So, uh, what was I here? Um, so our example uh, to follow Christ as a Christian is forgiveness. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew 18. Uh, where are you? Sorry. Okay. So Matthew 18, 21. Okay. Then Peter came, and this is one of the slides that I changed, so forgive me, I'm just going to read it. If you got a Bible, you can follow along with me. Uh, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Uh, 
And Jesus says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70, 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay his debt. Imagine? Oof. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, I will pay it all. Then the, his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, this part I don't really understand because if you take the guy and throw him in jail, how is he going to make money to pay you back? Right? Food for thought. Okay. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called in the man he had forgiven and asked, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had mercy on you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So, yeah, that's a big one. So, now, here's the thing. I feel like we have a much easier time forgiving somebody who is new to the church, right? If somebody new came in, we would forgive them for their sins. We would make sure that they know that they no longer have to live that way. Like I think about back from when I first got saved, like I was saying, you know, I had so much to be forgiven for. So like the ability for Christ to forgive me was huge, right? And nobody looked at me like I was crazy. They were like, yes, you are forgiven through Christ. We love you. But fast forward like 20 years and you being in the church, it's, it's a lot harder to forgive those brothers and sisters who are sinning against you, right? It happens. And, and Christ lays out in later chapters how to deal with that kind of stuff. But we get a little jaded, right? We get our own justification of what we think should or shouldn't be forgiven. And that is a very scary place to be because we are getting into territory where we're elevating ourselves above God because we think that you know, this person should or shouldn't be forgiven, where it clearly lays out here that if you do not forgive your brothers and sisters, heaven is not an option for you. That trust fund is not an option for you if we don't forgive our brothers and sisters. Wow, it's a big one, okay? So I wanted like a little, uh, I did a little digging into this, which I thought was really cool and it kind of blew my mind because it all ties in together. So, like, what is Jesus saying here 77 times? Like, is that an actual number? Like, is he good at math? Does he just, did he pull this number out of the air? So there's actually only two times in the entire Bible where the number seven and 77 are actually put together really close. And the first time that it happens is actually back 
in the initial story that we read about Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. So Cain, when he got banished from the garden after he killed Abel, God basically said to him, if anybody tries to hurt you, I am going to punish them seven times worse. Okay? So five generations later, Cain has a, son, a grand, grand, great, 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 great grandson named Lamech. Okay? And this guy, somebody picked a fight with him and he killed him on the spot. And what he says is, is if, if Cain is basically going to get punished seven times, anybody who like screws with me is getting punished 77 times, right? So what is God, Jesus is doing here in this story is he's alluding to this story, okay? So Lamech is basically the epitome of like human nature, right? Where you mess with me, I'm going to get you back, right? And what God is, what Jesus is trying to say here is like, no, no, no. Like, let's flip the script. This is no longer how we're going to operate. We are now going to operate by, if you screw me 77 times, I'm going to forgive you 77 times, right? And that's just the, the number is not a number. It, it's an indefinite number. Like, it doesn't mean 77 times. He's just using the number 77 to allude back to this, uh, to this story that happened many, many years ago to basically flip it upside down. (laughs) My mind was blown when I read this because I picked out these stories before I even knew this. And I was like, wow, this ties back into Genesis. Like the Holy Spirit was just kind of like, yeah, it's just the, the Bible is such a, like a rich, deep place of so much, like so many little things like that when you just read it and you just read the number 77 you're like oh cool 77 times okay well I'm never going to count to 77 right so (laughs) right like what a great number but no that is why he uses the number 77 uh, is because it ties back into that so I mean I thought that was pretty cool you guys can study that on your own if you're taking notes you should be taking notes Okay, number three is obedience, okay? Uh, so obedience to me, I think, is, is really the overarching kind of theme of this. Um, just, I mean, I feel like tithing and forgiveness kind of just goes under obedience because uh, obedience is pretty straightforward. And again, the definition of being obedient is willing to comply with orders or requests, submissive uh, to another's will. And so for us Christians, that means being submitted to Christ, right? That's, that's who we're submitted. That's why we're here. We love Christ. We love what he's doing. And like we're submitting to him. So John 14, uh, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Pretty, pretty, pretty basic, right? Um, but like as humans, we hate being told what to do right? Nobody likes being told what to do. You tell me what to do, I'm probably going to go do the opposite thing because I don't want to do what you just told me to do, right? And we see that, like, especially with our children, right? Like, you tell a kid something to do, like, forget it. Like, he's out of there. He's going the complete, like, go brush your teeth. And he's, like, walking to the kitchen to go eat something, right? The complete opposite, right? So, and this kind of ties back into, like, like I was saying, like, my testimony, too, where, like, you know, I had an issue with authority, right? Um, you know, obviously breaking the law and doing things that I should not be doing, like I had a big time issue with obedience and, and 
the authority. So when I came and found Christ, it was actually almost easier because I had, I know what the world had to offer. And so coming in and, and being offered something the complete opposite and different was a little bit easier, I feel like, for me as coming to know Christ and, and doing all of these things. Um, and yeah, and it's, and you know, uh, so... And so how do we know that being obedient is for us and not for God? Like it states in John, it uses the word if, right? If is a conditional world, word, sorry, which if we love him, right? So if we love him, we will follow his commandments. So he's not up there saying like, you got to do this, this. And you think like, again, think about like being a parent, who, who's a parent in here who loves to enjoy telling their kid what to do 77 times, right? Right? And that's, that's, just, that's just one night getting them to go to bed, right? Like, it, I got the next night and the next night and the next night, right? So, like, we as, like, if we compare, like, our, what God's going through and what he thinks and to what we are, right? It's, it, like, that's, that's just the cycle. Like, it's not for him. It's for us, right? It's us. If we love him, we will be obedient to him. Amen? Okay. Last one here is ask. And I'm going through this a lot faster than I thought I would, but that's great. I got 17 minutes. Okay. Um, okay. So ask. And so again, so obedience is sort of the overarching thing. And I kind of just had it in there. And I saved ask for last because I believe that this is where a lot of us do get stuck is asking, right? We, th- we don't really ask for help. We don't know what it means to ask. We don't know how to ask people for different things that we need help with. Like, it's just, it, we get stuck here, okay? So, and we need to ask. Matthew 7, 7 um, it basically tells us that we need to ask. And, you know, there are times where God will do things in our lives where we don't ask, right? Like, you know, we heard from Ty and Sharon last week, where God, somebody showed up at their front doorstep. They didn't ask and gave them what they needed, right? And so it happens, but for the most part, we need to ask, okay? Um, and yeah, so Matthew 7, 7. Okay, so effective prayer is what it says in the Bible of Matthew 7, 7. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay, so what does it mean to ask? Like, what is he talking about ask here? Okay, ask is prayer, okay? We need to constantly be in prayer with God. That's, that is the median that God decided to use to communicate with us. So if we don't ask, if we don't pray, we will not get an answer from God, right? It's pretty simple. Like that's what he decided we need to ask, okay? Seek. What does it mean to seek? Seek God's face. Seek God who he is. Seek his kingdom. Seek his presence. Constantly be seeking who God is right? And then lastly is to knock. And knocking is the actual action step of you going out and doing what you need to do, what you've been seeking and asking for. So if you, for example, let's say you're praying for something for yourself and you're like, God, I really need to make more money. 
I'm not making enough money at my job. So you're asking, you're seeking him. You're like, you know, I need to be able to do this so that I can survive my family, blah, 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 blah. Then you never go and ask your boss for a raise. Like, what are you thinking? Like, it's not all spiritual. We, there is a practical side to God. We have to do the act, like we have to follow essentially what he's saying here. He's asking, like there's steps for what we need to do. Okay, so I'm gonna now, it's really interesting again, like how deep and rich the Bible is. I'm, last week, uh, Pastor Sharon and Ty uh, talked about the book of Haggai. Okay, so we're gonna talk about Nehemiah. So what's really cool is uh, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were actually used to be one book. I didn't know this. And they were, when we broke it down into today's Bible, it got broken into two books, okay? And through these three books, there's three guys. There's Zerubbabel, who we learned about last week, Ezra and Nehemiah, okay? And all three of these people were essentially released from Babylon under different kings and came to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem, okay? Different stages, they all got stuck in certain spots where they, you know, just got stuck in dealing with people and our corrupt stuff and their unwillingness to do what needed to be done to rebuild Jerusalem because we're human and that's what happens. And so, um, so basically the book of Haggai um, is he is a prophet who is basically like another story within this. So if you think about like the gospels, like we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who are four guys who wrote four different books, but they're all basically talking about the same thing. This is very similar where Haggai was a prophet who was dealing with and helping Zerubbabel at that time, but same thing. So this is going in the same sort of narrative of that. So Nehemiah was sort of the last guy who was um, getting ready to go. He wanted to go and build the wall. And Nehemiah felt overwhelmed um, by what was happening. And he felt like he, you know, it was on his heart to go and build Jerusalem. Uh, he, you know, it was heavy on him. So he prayed and he asked God, and he said, God, I want to go and do this. So he prays to God. Do we have that uh, thing? No, okay. Uh, so you know what? Here, let's find it quick because it's really good. And it really ties in with uh, everything that we've been talking about in, in last week. So uh, I've got it here. Okay. So in late autumn, in the month of Kezlev, I don't know what that means, uh, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, Xerxes, Art Xerxes' reign, wow, it's a tough one, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hannah and one of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from their captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed. When I heard about this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God of heaven. Then I asked, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down 
and see me praying night and day for your people of Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, not obeying the commands, decrees, regulations that you gave us through Moses, right? So he's, he's praying, right? He's praying. He's asking God to basically see him. He's seeking, um, like he's seeking God's face. He's seeking his kingdom. And then we see in Jeremiah too, or sorry, Nehemiah, uh, <laughs> he goes to the king. Okay. And the king's like, Hey man, he's like, what's going on? And he's like, you know, in Jerusalem, it's like, it's, it's bad right now. And he's like, you know, if you wouldn't mind, he was like, I would love to go back to Jerusalem and help them build the wall. And he was like, okay, well, he's like, I see this is bothering. And he's like, sure. And he's like, okay. So another thing is, is like, I don't have anything to bring with me. So can you give me all of the stuff that I need to build the wall? And he's like, sure, no problem. Right? So we have to, like, that's the point. Is like, he's seeking God. He's asking God. And then he goes and says, okay, who do I need to ask to actually enaction this? Right? Because we can't just sit back and be like, oh, okay, I prayed. It's going to happen now. Cool. I'm just going to go sit over here and wait. It's like, no, like we have our responsibility to be able to go and do the things. And like, so again, I'm not saying that God is a genie, okay? And we go, God, I really need a new car. And then go out to a car dealership and say, hey, can I have a new car? Like, most likely that's not going to happen, right? Like what Christ is teaching us in Matthew 7 is like, if things that we need and ask to build his kingdom, right? We're seeking his kingdom. We're seeking his ability to build his kingdom. And like, so that's what we're doing here. We're not here to build our own kingdoms. We're here to build his. Amen. Okay. And so kind of sum all this up. Um, Childlike faith. Okay, so at the beginning of Matthew, the the original um, vision or the like the visual parable that he gives to them is like you see this child, he is what you need to be like to be first in my kingdom. And so, if you think about the mind of a child, I listened to this thing recently, and this guy was talking about how he was so involved with like his work and his job and he would get home from work and he'd be constantly on his phone and his kids would be like, dad, dad, like, can we do a do And he'd be like, hang on, hang on. I got like, I got work stuff to do. Right. And he realized he's like, my kid only wants one thing. He wants the attention of two people, me and my wife. And like, that is what a child is like. He, God wants us to do one thing, is seek his attention, right? And if we do that, like we've seen in here, like he will take care of us, right? That's what he wants. He just wants us to be like a child and to seek him constantly. So I think about like my own children, right? I think about Luke, who's my youngest, right? Like does he, he doesn't worry about anything, right? God tells us not to worry about our clothes and our food. So you think about it as a child's perspective where she's telling us to be like a child. Like my, Luke never is like, oh, dad, where's my food? Like, ah, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm going to get a job. 
how am I going to make more money, right? Like, no. He constantly relies on us to feed him, right? He's not going out and buying new pants if he needs new pants. He needs us to go and do it. So same with us. For our, If we need something, we should be relying on him and knowing that he's going to come through, right? Like Matthew 7, 9 tells us like that Jesus wants to give us what we're asking for, right? But at the same time, like, if I think about, like, you know, same example, if Luke asks me if he can take the car for a spin around the block, right, what's my answer going to be? Like, no, right? Obviously. So if we understand that from the perspective of God, who's seen the beginning and the end, right? We talked about in Job how complex everything he's, like, he's already, he knows what's there, so if we're asking for something that he knows is going to take us out, do you want him to give it to you? Right? Like I preached like a couple months ago, a little five minute sermon thing about like King Solomon. And we talked about like how much money that guy had and basically how it took him out. Right? So do you want the things that are going to take you out or do you want the things from God that he wants to give to you? Right? Amen. And, um, Sorry, this thing keeps turning off on me. Um, yes. And then, and, and forgiveness, right? You think about, like, again, I think about my kids, like, beating on each other constantly, right? Like, my oldest, like, I don't know, he's 13 today. Yeah, yeah. He's a teenager. Yeah. Whew. Exciting and completely terrifying all at the same time. But I think about, like, you know, he... He beats up, like, mostly Oliver, not, not as much Luke. But how many times have I told you to, like, stop hitting your brother? And then, like, and then poor Ollie, like, you know, how many times has he had to forgive Jude? Right? Way more than 77. Right? So, again, and, like, so as, as a father, like, and our God, the father, and me as a father, I think about, like, I'm constantly telling Oliver, yeah, guess what, buddy? You got to forgive Jude again, right? Again, again, right? And that's what God is telling us constantly. Yes, you got to forgive him again. They did that to you again? Sorry, bro. Free will. Do you want me to take your free will away? Forgive him, right? So this is the thing, like we talk about, um, one of the things I was watching about Job, it was saying that like our world is not set up to basically incur all of the injustice that happens. It's just, it's impossible. There's too much going on all the time. And if God was to act his justice on everything, we would be living in a much different world right now, right? So that's, yeah. So I, just to, that childlike faith is, I think, a very good example of, all of these different things that we need to do to basically walk in the footsteps of Christ. Amen? Amen. Why don't we just pray quick? God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the words that have been spoken here. We ask that you would allow them to resonate with us, that you would be able to show us deeper in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own understanding of what you mean and how we can implement this when we leave here today and when we talk to people who are Christians and who are not, that we would all get to know 
and understand you in a much greater way. God, we just thank you for everything. We thank you for every brother and sister in this house, and we forgive anything that we may hold against each other. And we just, we know and we understand that you are working in ways that are benefiting us, regardless of what we think are happening at the time. These stories throughout the Bible show us that building character doesn't always look nice and happy, and that sometimes it inflicts pain on us, but we know that once we get through the other side, that you are still there, you've got us in the palm of your hand, and we can rely on that on a daily basis. We love you and we praise you. Amen. So we've been talking about this trust fund. Um, and we've been talking about doing this legacy offering that's coming up um, in next, I believe it's next Sunday. We are gonna watch the video, but I just wanted to preface it a little bit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I believe it's next Sunday. Um, I've been cheating. I've been doing it for like the last three weeks. I've been doing something every week just because uh, I wanted to. That's was kind of what God put on my heart, and um, I didn't want to save it all for one day. So I've been doing it. Um, and again, like what Pastor Rachel was saying last week, on the envelope uh, we have a spot there for you to write in what you're believing for based on what your offering is going to be, right? And I think that's a really awesome thing. And uh, like we saw in a lot of these things, um, just because you give an offering or you give a tithe doesn't mean that God's, you know, going to do something. And there's so many instances where he does, don't get me wrong, but that's not the case, right? There's no set formula. There's no cheat codes for God. There's, there is basically, we do what he tells us to do because we love him and we're obedient in that. Amen. But that doesn't mean that we can't believe for things. We can't, we're like, for me, I personally am just believing that more people know who Christ is. That's my heart. That's what I want. Like, that's what I believe this offering is going to go out and do. It's going to touch the lives of many people who are going to know who Jesus is that don't know who he is right now. Amen. So, we're going to watch the video and you guys have your own convictions and your own things that, and write them on the envelope because it's going to be awesome. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.